0: Believe that, that God hears when you call out to him. Let's pray right now. Father, thank you for being an amazing father. Um, Thank you for your great care and love for us. And when we call out to you, we're we're expecting that you hear us. We know that you hear. Lord, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be open today to what you want to tell us. And that nothing would distract us or snatch away these truths that you have so graciously given to us and Lord I pray that I would be able to communicate in such a way that that would uh, would really reflect the heart of Jesus in every way we pray in his name God's people said amen I knew when Pastor Rick invited me to speak uh, today that there was one message that uh, I needed to to deliver to you in fact it comes from one really important passage it's a passage that really has changed my life. It's affected my marriage, uh, my parenting, uh, my pastoring, my ministry. It's affected me greatly. And um, I think it's a passage that maybe a lot of us are familiar with, but I'm not sure we fully understand it. Now I've got to tell you right off the bat that um, a lot of people have influenced my, my thinking and, and they've actually shaped it. Uh, to help me understand this passage a lot better. Those include people like Tim Keller and Kenneth Bailey, my own father, um, Edmund Clowney, uh, Charles Spurgeon. Okay, So I'm getting all that out right now, so no one thinks that I'm stealing a message okay, from anyone else. And if you need to, to find out all the resources that I've, I've, I'm uh, delivering today, you can get uh, my extended sermon notes uh, from the office afterwards. Here's my question for you. Can you give like a prodigal? Can you give like a prodigal? Now, John, some of you might be saying, John, uh, I can spend like a prodigal, um, but give like a prodigal? What do you mean by that? Well, do you really know what prodigal means? See, most of us have. Uh, come to the modern-day definition of prodigal, which means someone who's this openly rebellious. But the, the real definition of prodigal, and you can check this on your own smartphone, look at it in Dictionary, you'll see that it literally means to be recklessly extravagant, having spent everything, to, to give generously. To help you kind of understand that a little bit further, you know, think of the another related word, prodigy, to be exceptionally gifted, right? That's what we think of a child when he's a prodigy. So I'm asking again, can you give like a prodigal? Let me explain further what prodigal is all about. Um, a couple weeks ago, I went to the mailbox, and I was sifting through all the junk mail, and uh, I got this little letter. And um, on it, on the outside, it said U.S. Treasury. And so I quickly opened it up, and um, there was No explanation. Now, just to give you a little background, um, my uh, my wife and I every year we file U.S. taxes. We also file Canadian taxes, and so um, you know, I, I any correspondence from the U.S. usually is kind of a bad thing, right? And uh, in this case, though, all that was in this envelope was a check. So I immediately called the IRS in the United States, and I said is there something, you know, is this correct? I I, I got this check, and I'm not sure what this is all about. And they said to me, well, do you remember in 2008 the economic stimulus package that was passed by Congress? I said, yes. And they said, well, we were going over our records, and we found that we owe you some money. And and so, uh, yeah, it's correct. The money is yours. Now, now remember, the U.S. is trillions of dollars in debt, right? And they're sending me a check that I don't deserve for $1,500. $1,500, okay? (laughs) Look at this. Just, just Just to show you that I'm not making this up. You cannot, you know, print these checks on your own that I'm aware of, okay? The United States is a prodigal. They're recklessly extravagant. Okay? With their money. Now, I want us to learn a passage about an even greater prodigal. If you have your Bibles, let's look at Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And uh, start in verse 11. Okay? If you don't know where that is in your Bibles, um, just look at the table of contents. Look for the Gospel of Luke. You'll see Luke there. And, uh, and then turn to chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Okay, here's, here's Jesus. He tells this story. It says, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to, feed, to his field to feed pigs. He longed to feel a stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Literally, he kept on kissing him. all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed a fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you were always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost And is now found. This story is an amazing story. But do you really understand it? Let me help you walk you through this story. First of all, we notice that there's a story about two sons. And uh, the younger son comes to his father and says, Can I have my share of the inheritance? Now, this isn't like some of you young people saying, Hey, Dad, I need some money. Can you give me some money? I got this big trip planned. Okay? It's not like that. What this son is actually saying is, Dad, I want you dead. You are worth nothing to me, except your money and your stuff. I want the inheritance now. Now what would you do in that situation? You'd probably drive your son away. Say, forget it. This is ridiculous. And that's certainly what would be the custom in that day. It says in Proverbs 10.30 that the wicked shall be driven from the land. This was a wicked son. He's rebellious. But you know what this father does is he, he actually divides up the inheritance. He gives two-thirds to the older brother and one-third to the younger son. That's why the older son actually got a double blessing. That's why it was two-thirds, one-third. And um, to understand this a little bit further, you know, for a father to do this... Uh, you think about it. Can you imagine if one of your children said, I, I want all the, all, all the money you have now, and I- I'll get my share. Okay? So what would you have to do? My guess is that most of you do not have like just a bunch of cash to just hand off to your, your children. You would have to liquidate your assets. You would have to, to, to go to the bank and say, you know what, I have to withdraw all the investments I have. I have to, um, even if it costs me some early pe- you know, tax penalties and everything like that. The banker will like, well well, why, why do you want the money? Well, because my younger son wants me dead. And then you'd have to go to the realtor and explain to the realtor, you know what, I need to sell my house and um, I need to, uh, to downsize because i got to get some money. And they'd say, well, why? Well, because my son wants all of my money now. And then all your neighbors, you'd have to explain to them, you know, why are you moving? Well, my, my children, my son wants me, my dad, and he wants his money. So I have to sell the car and sell the house. And you'd be like, what are you doing? Why would you tell that? Now, that would be completely embarrassing. But back in this day, it's a whole other level. Because the father would actually have to go to the villagers, his family and friends, and say, you know what, I'm going to have to, ...to get some money here. I'm selling everything. And all his family and friends are like, what are, you, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You see, in that day... ...you just didn't do those type of things. If you recall the story of Naboth and, and Ahab... ...in 1 Kings chapter 21... ...we find this story of this King Ahab... ...who was king over Israel. And he, uh, he wanted to plant a, vi- a vegetable garden. And so he wanted to expand his, his property... And Naboth was uh, bumping up against his property right next door. And so he says to Naboth, he says, sell me your property. And this is what Naboth's reply is. Despite the fact that this is the king, who has a massive army, could take him out. He says this, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And so guess what happens? Ahab kills Naboth to get his vineyard. You just do not sell your property. You do not sell your land in those days. But this father did. This father did. Seems pretty reckless. Pretty extravagant. And so, the father does this. And he does so quickly because it says that not long after that, in Luke chapter 15, the younger son son, uh, got everything he had together and set off for a distant country. He had to do this quickly, the father did, because, um, as one commentator says, you know, the disgust and hatred in the community would mount against this younger son and against the family. And so the father knew he had to get get his son out of the town really quickly. So the son leaves. Now, this is pretty important for us to understand because um, I want us to understand this lesson. Sometimes getting somebody back means letting them go in the first place. I'll give you an example. This, um, this, uh, this morning I baptized my son Josiah. But most of you do not know that a couple years ago, Josiah wanted to be baptized. So I took him to Pastor Rick. And um, Pastor Rick asked him all these questions and about you know, whether he thought he was ready to be baptized. And, and Josiah just answered them really well. You know, he was ready to be baptized. And so we were all preparing for his baptism. And uh, the day of the baptism, uh, I said, Josiah, you know, tell me again why you want to be baptized. He's like, well, Daddy, it's going to be really cool. You know what? It's going to be really fun. I want to do it because Jesse's getting baptized. And I immediately said, Josiah, I I can't baptize you today. You're not ready. And he was devastated. And I was devastated. And I I really had to do some soul searching. I was like, God is my son really a believer? You know, like, is this because this, he, he knows, he's been around church, he's been handing around church, and he just knows the answers? So I had to let him go. I kept praying. Now, on a lot larger scale, I know that there's some here today who have had to let their son or daughter go. You've had to let him go, and they're far away from you. And there's so much hurt and, and, and ache over that. But in this story, it's a little bit different. Uh, this son is not AWOL, absent without leave. He's absent with leave. See, the son is going off because the father's permitted him to do so. In fact, he even enabled him to do so, he gave him the money to do it. He didn't do it, though, without his blessing. That's something for us to learn about the fact that we can we can permit people to 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 leave. We can help them to leave. But that doesn't mean that necessarily it's a blessing. Um, I'll give you another example. Let's say my children are um, uh, wanting to get married. They've grown up and. Uh, and one of them claims to be a believer. And they say, you know what, I'm marrying, I want to marry this person. And I know for a fact that the person they want to marry is not a believer. And um, I say, you know what, this is not right. Because this person potentially could take you in a, in a direction away from God. It's not to say anything about those who are already married who are not married to those who follow Jesus Christ. But at the start, the scriptures, I believe, teach that, that you should marry believer to believer... An unbeliever to unbeliever. And so I said, I cannot officiate at this wedding. I cannot, son or daughter, you know, Jesse or Josiah, I cannot marry you. But you know what I would do? I would still attend that wedding. I would still help them out financially. I don't want to close the door on this relationship. And that's what this father does. He lets him go. It's extravagant Grace. Continuing on in the, study, or in the story that Jesus tells, we see that uh, this, this, um, this younger son, he, he goes off and um, he squanders his, his, his wealth, everything that he was given. And um, a famine comes upon the land. And uh, he's in deep trouble. He, he kind of learns the lesson that when, when you have all these friends because you have all this money, um, they're really not friends in the end. Your real friends are with you when you have nothing. And so this younger son kind of learned that lesson. And uh, it says here in the text that he had to, to surround himself and go eat with the pigs. Now it's at this point that the Jews listening to this story would be flabbergasted. They would consider this completely reckless. First of all, the shame of, of leaving leaving uh, the, the father's um, blessing and, and the village... ...and then going off with Gentiles and eating with pigs... They'd be furious as they heard Jesus telling this story. Now, I don't think, though, that that's the amazing, most amazing part. Verse 16, if you look at it, says, He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But notice what it says. But no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. See, he came to the conclusion that no one was helping him. No one would give him anything. Except there was one person who gave everything to him. His father. His father. So he comes to his senses in verse 17. And he starts to think about what he could do. How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will sit and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now notice then what he does. He says, make me like one of your hired men. He actually commands his father. It's an imperative. He's commanding his father to give him a job. See, the son is still trying to control the relationship. Because he also says, make me like one of your hired men. He didn't ask to be a slave in the... um, in the household, which were almost part of the family. doesn't say he wants to be a doulas. He doesn't want to be a slave. He doesn't want to be um, a, a lower slave on the family estate. He wants to be a hired man. Hired men lived off the estate. And so the son is actually saying, I, I want to kind of earn my way back. I want to make this, make this all right on my own. So that's why I don't believe that the son is really repentant at this point. He's still commanding the father, he's still trying to control the relationship. And notice though in verse 20, you know, when he, he gets up, he almost pulls himself up by his bootstraps and goes to the father. And but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. I love that. The father was searching, he was looking for. Him. And when he finally sees the sun, he runs to him. Now, back in that day, can you imagine? You know, you have these long flowing robes, you're an old man, you don't run. Okay? It's just not it's just not the thing you do. It's not kosher. You just do not run. So why why did the father run? Well, you need to know that the son was going to be coming by the village. And there was a ceremony. ...in the village called the Kazaza Ceremony. And the Kazaza Ceremony... ...was where they would, they would burn nuts and corn... ...and they'd put it in, um, in, a, in a clay jar... ...and then they would break the jar... ...in front of this, this younger son... ...and say this... ...this son is Lassa's inheritance. This son is Lassa's inheritance. And they would um, have the little children echo this. Can you imagine... How would you like that? Little little uh, kids always saying, this son has lost his inheritance. This son has lost his inheritance. You'd hate it, right? And it wasn't just so the kids would learn this and be an example. It was so that for the future generations, for years to come, that son could never be restored. He was an anathema to that community. And so that explains why the father ran. He wanted to protect the son from the kazaza ceremony. From the shame of this village finally getting their pound of flesh. So he runs to him. And what does he do? He says, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. This is in front of the whole villagers. Now whose robe is that? Whose robe do you think that is? It's the father's. Covering him... Over his shame and his, his, his nakedness. <laughs> and then it says, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Now, putting a ring on his finger, that, that's actually the family ring. Back then, I just want to let you know, they didn't have credit cards, okay? They didn't have credit cards. And so this would be like, this would be like the father saying, oh yeah, here's the family business credit card. Go ahead. It's all yours now. Here's sandals. These are my sandals. And guess what? Bring the fat and calf. The one that belonged to me. Everything else has been divided, but the, the, the animals that have been raised, and the little calf, that belongs to me. And kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Now remember, they're in the village, right? Everybody's watching this. And immediately the father takes this son who has you know, been, done something so shameful and he restores him to honor. Because he tells everybody, you know what, there's a party going on. It's the fattened calf. And you're invited to the party. And guess what? If you come to the party, no longer can you perform the kazaza ceremony. You're coming because you are now saying that this son is restored. That's amazing. That's extravagant. That's prodigal. That's what the Father does. And so, that's what we know God does. Let me ask this this question of you. What would you do if your son or daughter was lost. Tim, wouldn't you do everything in your power to rescue them? I know. Uh, Everyone in this room, I believe, would. You're you're good parents, okay? There's nothing bad about this father in this story. It should be encouraging. They're a rebellious son here. father didn't do anything wrong. In fact, he loved him. Some would actually say the father is reckless because most of us would say, the more, more responsible parent would be to, to um, say, welcome back, but here are the rules. You've got to do this, you've got to do that, and finally earn your way back. You've, you've, you've caused a lot of problems, son. That's not what this father does. He just welcomes him back, kisses him, hugs him, restores him to shame. What would you do if somebody was lost? We saw this um, to be true here in, uh, just a week ago. Week or so ago, the Chilean miners. Remember them? Now, um, it was so amazing, you know, to see these these miners rescued. But do you know how much it cost to rescue those Chilean miners? Sebastian Pinera, the Chilean president, uh, told the BBC that it cost between ten and twenty million dollars to rescue those those lost miners. Now, come on. You can always get more minors, right? They're a dime a dozen. Do you, you think that's how this wife feels and those children? They're saying every, in fact, the Chilean president says every last peso was worth it. <laughs> that's what God does as a father. He was, he was extravagantly um, gracious towards us. He came and rescued us in our lostness. I would say to you today that if, if you're, you're feeling at this point that you've done wrong and you've been away from the Father, the Father's message to you is welcome back. Welcome back. But that is not the end of this story. Okay, To end there would be missing something very important. Notice what we find here when Jesus continues on. And, you know, we, we see that this, this son, you know, when he, when he, um, when he is over, he's put, the ro- he's put the robe on and the fatted calf. I really believe that it's at this point that he's, he's finally broken. He wasn't broken in the pig pen. He was broken in the arms of the father. The father went to him and rescued him. Said, I'll have nothing to do with this. I want to interrupt you right now. Don't try to give me your spiel. Don't try to work your way back into this relationship. Don't try to come to me on your terms. That's what the Father does. That's what God does with us. The other part of this story that's really important for us to understand is verse 25. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he hears this party, and he's like, What is going on? We haven't had any parties here. Maybe the last party... We had was when I threw it because the younger son left. And he's ticked off. He's so ticked off that he won't even come into the party. Um, He has to find out what's going on. And he's angry. He actually makes his dad come out of the party and explain what's going on. Now, this is really important for us to understand. Because where is the younger brother? He's now in the home. Where is the older brother? He's outside of the home. The elder brother is just as lost as the younger brother. It's really a shocking message. Because the elder brother was the one who always did what was right. He always kept the rules. In fact, the father doesn't disagree with him when he says that he didn't disobey any of those orders. But the shocking message is this that careful obedience to God's law may serve as a strategy for rebelling against God. The elder brother was always doing what was right, he was acting as a great servant but not acting as a good son. I found this very convicting because I know I fit into the category of the elder brother. See, for us to understand this passage, you need to understand why Jesus told this story. In fact, it's three stories. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Luke 15. Notice what it says. This is the context. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around him, Everyone was wanting to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So who in the story is the younger son and who is the elder son? Who are the sinners that is mentioned that are listening and gathering around Jesus? Isn't, aren't they the younger sons? And who are the elder brothers? <laughs> the Pharisees, right? Very clearly. That's why Jesus tells these three stories. The lost sheep. The shepherd goes after the lost sheep. He's reckless. He leaves the 99 behind and he, he goes and he rescues him. And then there's great rejoicing. Tells another story about the, the lost, this woman who loses a coin. Finds her coin and there's great rejoicing. But then we always think that there's the story of the lost son. Maybe that's what your Bible says. You should add another S. It's the parable of the lost sons. Both sons are lost. They're far from the father. Because we need to understand that you cannot be a good son without being a good brother. Do you know what the real job of the the elder brother was? It wasn't to kind of manage the family farm and keep it going. You know, they took a third of their income and, and they had, you know, have to kind of recover from that. You know what the elder brother was supposed to do? The elder brother was supposed to go and get the younger brother to rescue him. To bring him back to the family and into the village and community and say this is my brother. He's back. We love him. Let's restore him. Let's, Let's celebrate. Let's rejoice. But This elder brother didn't do that. He was too concerned about money. He was too concerned about trying to earn his father's favor. And his father, his father, had, you know, essentially said, My dear son, Verse um, 31 literally says, not just son, but it says, My dear child, that's what the son does. That's what the father did. He came to the son, and he he says, everything I have is yours. You don't have to earn it anymore. The hearts of the brothers, though, were the same. Both sons resented their father's authority and sought ways of getting out from under it. They each wanted to get into a position in which they could tell the father what to do. Each one, in other words, rebelled, but one did so by being very bad and the other by being very good. And yet, which I love, the father comes to the younger son, runs to him, but he also comes to the elder brother. This is very important for us to understand that God the Father always comes to us. He is the initiator of the relationship. We're still trying to work our way, whether we're outwardly wayward or whether we're inwardly wayward. And this elder brother, instead of going and rescuing his younger son, wants to just remain a servant. Now the story just ends right there. In... um, Verse 32, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Kind of disappointing. We don't know what happens with those elder brothers. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because and I have good news for you today. There was a true elder brother. And his name is Jesus. And he came, off, came from a distant, far-off country called heaven. And came down to earth at his own expense. Remember, the, the, the property had already been divided up, right? So whose expense was this be at? The elder brother. Jesus, at his own expense, comes and rescues us who are lost. I want us to, to understand today that all everybody in this room needs to come back to the Father because of His extravagant grace. We are lost, whether we've been doing good or whether we've been doing bad. And the choice really is up to you. See, at the end of the story, as Kenneth Bailey says, one son is restored from death and from servanthood. A second son, insist on remaining a servant. What are you going to be like? What are you going to do? Which are you, the elder brother or the younger brother? Maybe you're a bit of both at times. Today, I want you to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ, who came and rescued you as the true elder brother. And I want you to follow in the same pattern as him, to give big, like a prodigal, and to go and seek those who are lost will you take up that charge will you follow him can you give like a prodigal can you give like God let's pray father god thank you for this amazing story Lord I help, I pray that you would remind us that we are in desperate need whether we have and seemingly have it all together and we keep trying to do good or whether because we've, we're wayward, we're outwardly wayward. And we respond to the Father's love that so richly is given to us in his compassion. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's 1965. And there's a young man by the name of Daniel Dawson who shot over Vietnam. He's a fighter pilot, and his plane goes down. And um, after hearing that there'd be no attempts to rescue him, his older brother Donald hears of this and says, i got to do something. So at his own expense, he goes to Vietnam, and he, he traps him. He doesn't carry any weapons. He just He just goes through the jungle looking for his brother. Finally it comes to the Via Khan. The Via Khan, you know, say, What are you doing here? You're a spy. And um, Donald says, No, I'm just looking for my lost brother. And they don't believe him, so they, they strip him naked and they, they put him in prison. For four whole months he's in prison. Finally they, they believe him and they say, you know what? We checked out your story and your your, your brother's died. But we cannot believe the love that you have for him. Jesus paid that kind of ransom, went after you when you were lost. Are you going to go do likewise? Give it all? We must. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your great prodigal love for us. Extravagant. It seems reckless, but in the end, you get us back, Lord, and you restore us. We, we ask that everyone in this room would not leave today without understanding and embracing your grace. Please, Lord. Thank you for rescuing me as an elder brother. Thank you for rescuing me when I was a younger brother. I pray that everyone would In the same way, want to go rescue others. We pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said,